Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're, we're podcasting a Bible study that we post every Sunday morning for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, we're talking about people, obviously, from the congregation who might be ill or, or you know handicapped in some way, can't be with us, but also other people in the Omaha area who want to be with us but cannot, but they want to be in God's Word. They want to study. But we're also talking about people across the country who live in other areas who obviously cannot be with us in person, and people literally around the world who want to be in God's Word. They want to study, but they, because of where they live, they obviously cannot be with us in person. So we're thankful to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there, and we're thankful that we can be here with you to help you understand God's Word more fully and more thoroughly. We want to encourage you, share these studies with everybody you can, because you know people who need to be in God's Word. They need to grow in their faith, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and check us out in person. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street. And Bible classes begin at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, followed by, 10, by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, 7.30, I'm sorry, 6, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of our services. Go to our website. Tell everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. And there's tremendous amount of study materials that are, are available there. It's all for free. And they can also, and you can do this yourself, sign up for our podcasting. Just click on the podcast button, sign up for our podcasting. Again, it's free, and you will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a short daily Bible study that we call today's Bible class. Seven days a week, only about 13 or 14 minutes, but you're in God's Word every day. So take advantage of that and tell everybody else you can to do the same. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Judges. And we have been looking through this particular period of Israel's history. And, you know, we're talking about how after they have entered the promised land, they fought many battles. God has given them victory after victory after victory, came to a point where their leader, um, where, their, where their, their leader became older and, and, you know, Joshua. And so he steps aside and you get the impression, at least I do, and I always have from, you know, reading through this particular account, that, that the people kind of got tired of fighting the battles. Now, God had instructed through Moses that the land would be divided among the 12 tribes. 
And so every tribe would have an allotment of the promised land. They would have a certain section that would be theirs. And they would raise their, you know, their, their people in that particular area. And they would certainly interact with the other tribes, you know, through commerce and worship and so on. But uh, that would be their area of the promised land. Uh, I, I've, when we go through the book of Judges, you get the understanding, I, I think it comes across, it, it, at least to me, that the different tribes and the different areas that they occupied were not necessarily all the time together, united, you know, and standing against enemies and so on. I, I've, I've wondered at times what it was like in the United States before we became the United States. You say, what were you talking about? Well, when it was back during the, you know, you know the, the different areas before we became one united nation with different states. Remember the 13 colonies. And so every one of them really were to a great extent self-governing. And it's supposed to be that way in the states now, in our 50 states of the United States. But then you had that, this overriding federal government that we you know, look to, and it really kind of dictates how far, to what extent, and with what restrictions and, and obligations do the state governments you know, operate within their individual states. But we're all united as one nation. And and so if something happened, it, let's say there was an invading foreign enemy that came in and started attacking, oh, name any state you want, Virginia, Florida, you know, Texas, Minnesota. Well, the whole nation would respond to that. But I don't think that was necessarily the case in the period of the judges within Israel. I think there were different tribal areas of the, of the promised land that would fall under subjection to foreign powers, foreign armies, and the rest of, the, of, 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 of Israel would not necessarily come to their aid. And so it was kind of almost like it probably was to a great extent, you know, when you had 13 colonies in this, in our history. And so they kind of be independent and, and on their own to a great extent. Now that would change later on, but it would be a p- period of hundreds of years before that would, that would change and they would become one united nation of Israel. Well, we're in chapter 12 and <clears throat> Here it says, Jephthah's conflict with Ephraim, with Ephraim. Now, remember, we're going through this period of judges. And so there are no kings, basically, in Israel. There certainly is not a king over all the land. But as they would become repentant before God, and remember, Israel had become a people that were caught up in idolatry, the worship of idols, again. Now, they, they really struggled with this for many hundreds of years until finally they put idolatry, the worship of idols, completely out of their practice and conscience. But that would be hundreds of years down the road yet. Now, when they would become unfaithful to God by starting to worship idols again, then God would punish them by allowing or maybe even raising up foreign enemies to take them over. 
And so these foreign enemies would come in and they'd, you know, they might fight a battle. They might not even have to fight a battle. They might just by sheer force come in and take over a particular part of Israel, one or two of the tribes or, or something like that, <coughs> the tribal areas. And they would put the people there under subjection. Well, then the people would repent and God would raise up a leader who would be a judge and he would lead the people in battle and drive out the enemy. And God would give them prosperity for a period of time as long as they remained faithful. But again, human beings being fickle, you know, another generation comes up just as we read in Joshua chapter two, who did not know God. They weren't there when this happened, when that happened, when God delivered them in this way or that way. And so they become unfaithful. They, they're not as dedicated to God. Aren't we seeing that in our nation right now? Don't we, don't we have generations of, of younger folks? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, five, ten-year-olds. I'm, I'm not even talking necessarily about teenagers. But don't we have, you know, the generations that are coming to maturity, say, in their, in their 20s and 30s and maybe even early 40s in many cases, and, and they're not really that focused on God? You know, they, they weren't around certainly going back to World War II, but neither was I. But they weren't around during, you know, Vietnam. They weren't around during the Cold War. They weren't around when, when people were so fearful of nuclear weapons and nuclear holocaust and all of that. And, and so they're, they're removed. And, and they've really, you know, had it in, in fairly easy way as far as prosperity is concerned. Uh, as we become a nation at peace for many, many years, and uh, our economy has prospered mightily, and, and so they, don't, they did not experience a whole lot of what some of the older Americans experience, and I'm not talking about ancient people, <laughs> you know, but people in their 50s and 60s saw a lot of stuff that, peop, you know, that, that the younger generations now in their 20s and 30s did not, did not see. They weren't around. They were, had not been born yet. And even in their early to mid-40s, I mean, they were little kids. And they don't re that stuff really did not make much of an impression on them, if any at all. And, and so we've got a people now who, who a pretty large segment of our society, they may not be very focused on God because they haven't had to deal with, with the kind of tragedy that would be, you know, widespread across the country or the kind of threat that would be widespread across the country and that would draw the nation together, the populace together. Now, you go back to 9-11, that's 2001. Where are we right now? We're in 2023, at the end of 2023. So we're talking about Okay, we're talking about 23 years, 22, 23 years removed from that. Well, what about those who weren't born yet in, in 2001? They're adults now, many of them. But what about the ones who might have been born in 1995? Well, they were only six years old in, in, in 2001. They don't remember that. But even if they were 10 years old, they're, they're, as far as how much the impression was made upon them, what happened at 9-11 when the terrorists struck in three different places in our country and thousands of people were killed, 
they're not going to remember much of that. So you got you got folks now, adults who are in their early to early twenties to early thirties, who they don't really have much of an impression of that particular tragedy. And for a short period of time, at least, that brought the nation together. But now, you know, we, we're so divided, we're so segmented, and there's so much vitriol and hatred between different segments of our society that it's, it's, it's alarming. I've never seen it like this, outright hatred. But so here we were, you know, here, I'm just using that by way of comparison to what it was seemed to be like in Israel after Joshua stepped aside and the tribes kind of took a period of rest. They stopped fighting the battles. They pretty well had the whole land under their control, but many years have gone by now, and some of those peoples they allowed to stay in their land against God's instructions and commandments, they have now become pretty powerful among themselves or within themselves. And, and so the people and, and the people of Israel have, you know, they've, they've forgotten. They've got no new generations, you know, that have grown up and they were not as aware of how God had delivered their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents from oppression and, and, and enemies and so on. And so the people as a whole, the nation as a whole, suffering the consequences. So we begin with verse, with verse 1. Jephthah was one of those judges that kind of took things into his own hands and made himself a leader. He, you know, he uh, assassinated, you know, his brothers and so on. He wanted to be in charge. So chapter 12, verse 1, then the men of, of, of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Wow. So here, the men from the tribe of Ephraim, they're saying, why didn't you take us? Why didn't you call them upon us? Why didn't you go do it yourself? They wanted to be a part of that. Now, maybe they, they thought Jephthah was uh, you know, taking too much on himself. Maybe it was the idea that they thought he was self-glorification. Maybe they thought they were insulted because he didn't call upon them to go fight the battle with them. Uh, whatever it might be, you know, and uh, Jephthah, now I said, I said Jephthah assassinated his brothers. I, I apologize, that was wrong. That was another one of the judges. But Jephthah, as we closed chapter 11, he was the one who had dedicated his daughter to God uh, because God had given, he, he made a vow to God, give me the victory, give us the victory in this battle. And the first thing that comes out of my house when I go back home, I will dedicate to you. And so that was his daughter. So he dedicated his daughter to God. Now, so Jephthah, he, you know, has been successful in this particular battle against their enemies. Now, in verse 2, Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. And so here's kind of, you know, inter-rivalry between some of the tribes of Israel. 
So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my, I, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? So he said, you know, uh, you did not support me when I called upon you. So I went ahead and, and took the initiative, and I led, you know, my, my men to fight against Ammon, and God gave me the victory. He did not take the credit for himself here. God gave me the victory, gave us the victory. Now, why are you upset with me? Why, are, why do you come up to me this day? So here's kind of rivalry between tribes of Israel. Verse 4, now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim, and so here's Israelites fighting against Israelites, one tribe to another. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. The Gileadites seized the fords of Jordan before the Ephraimites, uh, before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped, said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Shibboleth, for he could not, he could not uh, promise, rather he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan, there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. Now, this was apparently a, a, a diction kind of problem for the tribe of Ephraim that they could not say that particular word. And so it would be kind of a test. Say such and such. And if, you can't, if they could not say that and pronounce it properly, then they would know that they were really an Ephraimite and, and they, they would slay them at that particular point. <clears throat> And so there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. Now, these are <laughs> fellow Israelites going to war and executing other, Eph other Israelites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in among the cities of Gilead. <clears throat> so again, you know, I... I said Jephthah took power to himself and assassinated his I apologize, that was a previous, a previous uh, you know, man who rose up to take that power and assassinated his brother so he could be the leader. Uh, Jephthah apparently was a, was a good leader. Now, in verse 8 of chapter 12, we go on. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. Okay, so Jephthah has died. The Gileadite had died from Gilead. He had, but now, so after him, Ibzam of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. So you're having periods of judging here between, say, Jephthah judged Israel only six years. Now, Ibzam, his successor, only seven years. Then Ibzam died and, and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon, the, Zebulite, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. These are fairly short periods of time. And Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in Ajalon 
in the country of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, uh, the, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrathonite, died and was buried and and uh, was buried in Pyrathon, in the land of Ephraim, in the mountains of the Amalekites. So you see these succession of judges going on and on. And the period of the judges before, before God told Samuel to anoint uh, Saul as the first king, national king of Israel, the period of the judges went on for 400 or 400 or 450 years. And it was judge after judge after judge after judge. And you really saw a lot of, of um, just a lot of, of, of kind of upheaval, you know, not a great deal of stability within the nation during a lot of that period of time because you had all of these different tribes kind of doing their own thing. And then you'd have sometimes, as we see here, you'd have Israelites fighting against Israelites. But the big problem was, again, that they were not properly dedicated to God. Their faithfulness to God kept waning from generation to generation, and they kept going back to worshiping idols and being to one degree or another, unfaithful to God. And so God would bring judgment upon them through foreign powers whom he would allow to take them over. And so they, you know, these foreign armies, they'd come in and in some cases they would, they would, uh, you know, put into subjection a tribe, one of the tribes of Israel, or maybe a few of the tribes of Israel. And, you know, and then they would become repentant and God would then allow them to defeat those foreign powers and drive them out, restore their independence, their freedom and so on. And it was, it was just like a revolving door over and over and over again. These, the, this kind of situation was going on. We need to stop and think, you know, what God has given us in his word is meant to instruct us, to warn us in some cases of how we better not act, to also instruct us as to how God wants us to follow him, but also to instruct us as to the dangers of unfaithfulness to God, what that unfaithfulness can ultimately bring us. If we, if we want God's blessings, we need to walk with God faithfully. And that's not just saying a lot of words, you know, about how much we love God and how much faith we have in God. We need to live the life. That's what, what we're getting at. Israel, for hundreds and hundreds of years, many hundreds of years, they really struggled with learning the lesson that walking with God is not, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a lifestyle an ongoing, consistent, never-ending lifestyle. And that's the same principle that we need to understand and apply to our Christian lives. We're talking about living a daily life before God in faithful dedication and obedience 
living our life in Christ, following the teachings of New Testament Christianity, communicated to us through the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, faithfully, obediently, and consistently. Christianity is not an up-and-down lifestyle, back-and-forth, revolving door. No, it's consistent. It's a straight line. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. The way to destruction is through a broad gate and a wide road. And basically, we're talking about no rules. Do whatever you want. Be as wicked as you want, but you end up in hell for eternity. But the way to heaven, he said, is through a narrow gate, and it's a straight way, because truth is narrow and straight, but it leads to heaven. We need to learn the lesson that Israel struggled with for hundreds and hundreds of years and not make those same mistakes ourselves as we're following Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We'll pick up with chapter 13 next time. Let's pray. And by the way, chapter 13, we're introduced to a judge, and I'm not sure a whole lot of people understand that he was actually one of the judges of Israel, but they remember him as the strong man, Samson. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us, and thank you for giving us your word to guide us. Thank you for giving us your word that lays out for us peoples who made mistakes and suffered the consequences when it came to following you faithfully and obediently. Help us, Father, to learn from those lessons, from those negative examples that we do not repeat them ourselves, but help us to walk with you, Father. Guide us and strengthen us to do so in faithful, consistent obedience. Always we pray, and we pray for your blessings, Father. And thank you for blessing us so much already. Please forgive us and hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.